Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Okay, uh, Bible teaching time. Who's ready? Sweet. Okay, if you do not have a Bible with you, put up a hand. We've got volunteers that are going to pass. Oh, are they already gone? Wow, you Bible snatchers. That's good, though. I want you to have the Word of God in your hand. We're going to order a couple dozen more. So um, if you do not have a Bible, cozy up with the person next to you. Find out if they're single later. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I just don't know. We're out of Bibles. We are in Daniel chapter 1 today. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that already. This is week 4 of a series called Shining in Babylon. As I pointed out last week, what what does the phrase shining in Babylon imply? Babylon is dark and the people of God are to shine, right? Glad we covered that. Now we're stealing, right? We're, We're reading the Bible backwards, although sometimes that's accurate. To listen to Jesus' words and say, you, my followers, are to be a city on a hill, right? That, Jesus hasn't come yet when Daniel's in Babylon, but our God never changes. So we know that when Jesus said of his disciples, you're to be a city on a hill, that wasn't something brand new. Now that Messiah has come, you're to be a, a city on a hill. No, my people have always been meant to be a light. Since, since I called a moon-worshipping pagan Iraqi to move to a, a land that he wasn't going to know until he arrived, I, my people have always been meant to shine. They've always been meant to stand out. I made light up in their neighborhood when there was darkness in the rest of Egypt. Like, they're supposed to stand out. If you signed up to become a Christian, to comfortably fit in with your surroundings, I'm sorry you signed up for the wrong team. It's just not going to work. Sore thumb, that's you. You're going to stand out. At least that's the Holy Spirit's agenda in your life. And that is what the word of God is going to do if you surrender to it. So let's take a look. Part three of our sermon series, we're going to be covering verses three through seven. Today, the sermon is entitled, Who Am I? We are going to see one of the, of all scripture, of all 66 books, we're going to see the most, perhaps the most direct assault on somebody's identity, except for perhaps... Satan coming in Matthew 4 to Jesus and going, are you really the son of God? That's the big one. If Jesus messes that one up, the rest of the book doesn't matter, okay? But as it relates to demonic assaults on the children of God, trying to tell us who we are, get us to forget who our father told us we are, we are about to see, fait accompli, I think is the right phrase. My French is rusty, because I've only ever just tried to order a crepe successfully, and I just didn't care after that. I'm sorry. I just So uh, I should turn there as well. It'll make it go better when I try to read it. So let's get over to Daniel 1, verses 3. Oh, and in, in case you weren't here, just to remind you, this is 600 years or so before Jesus. God has told his people for a long time, If you keep on rebelling against me and abandoning the covenant, there will be a point where I just allow foreign kings to come in, defeat you, and carry you off into captivity. 
Um, it started off as a cosmic 70-year timeout, which scripture, God told them, you ignored the Sabbaths for 70 years. Not the Sabbath day at the start of the week, the, the annual, the year, once every seven years where they were supposed to allow all of the crops to lie fallow and trust God, they didn't do it. And he says, you owe me 70 years. Off to Babylon you go. But I thought Jesus was lovey and fluffy and just cuddled with sheep and stuff. Until you read the Bible. He takes sin very seriously because he knows sin is killing you. Okay? All right. Verses three through seven. So these guys are carried off into captivity. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Excuse me. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Did you, what? Did you guys see that? Kitchens. How much money do you have if you have more than one kitchen? Was one of them gluten free? This guy has money. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this. Every single one of these four Hebrew names directly references and praises God. The God of the Bible. You cannot separate their names from their identity from their God. They are all entwined. If you want to push God out, you're going to have to rename them. I know that doesn't happen in our culture anymore, but just imagine with me for a moment. This is also an encouragement to those of us parents. Not just in what do we name our kids, that's not the point. What type of identity do we speak into our children's lives? Can Yahweh be separated from the identity we give our children? I hope not. I hope they go off to university and the professors are like, oh, we're gonna have to cut this kid off at the knees because he knows who he is and he knows who his savior is. This is gonna be a problem. Oh, you didn't see in the text where they went off to university to be reprogrammed? Was that just me? Okay. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. By the way, all four of these names that they are receiving, all of them reference, praise, and glorify false gods of Babylon. This is intensely religious. This is not, hey, I can't roll my R's. Could you just get an American name? Don't say you haven't done that. Okay. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Holy Spirit, please teach the word of God to us. God, give us soft hearts that are ready to receive 
hearts that are hungry to receive what is true and to repent in light of it. God, change us that we walk away different than what we, how we walked into the room, lest this become a country club. God, change your people because we want to uh, reflect the love of Jesus Christ to our city and to our world. And so with every dark thing inside our hearts, keep pushing against every sinful thing and help us to abandon sin day in and day out as we pursue greater joy and glad obedience to you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said. Now, I had a sneaking suspicion you guys were gonna hijack the prayer time, so I did build a pretty streamlined sermon. That does not mean that it, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. So I, I really do. Did anybody not get sermon notes? I want you to fill in the blanks if you're a blanks person at all. We're going to say an awful lot today about Babylon and then how the church of Jesus Christ is to respond accordingly. But I have got 12 minutes. So there's that. <laughs> Note takers. Oh, I was supposed to be on this slide. I wasn't. That's all right. Babylon hates God because it wants to be God. Can we go home now? I already told you guys last week, if you're not the kingdom of God, but you're still a kingdom, you are a Babylon. There are Babylons with lots of Christians. There are Babylons that have a few Christians. There are Babylons that are completely unreached. There are no Christians. They are all Babylons. Now, I'm preaching ahead of myself when I tell you guys that because as we move, especially into the second half of Daniel that everybody freaks out over, all these weird symbols and weird images, those of us who are in the pulpit, because it's, I mean, if I'm in chemo, it's not gonna be me a whole lot. We're not gonna be able to sit here and totally land the plane on, for sure, this is exactly what this image means. This, that when scholars have been tearing into it for 2,600 years and they've got different opinions, what we can do is from this pulpit teach the things that are abundantly clear and that nobody disagrees on. Are you with me so far? When you get 20 Christian scholars in a room and they are from very different Christian traditions and they all agree on something, that's already a miracle, okay? Christian scholars do not disagree at all that the purpose of the book of Daniel is to give hope to God's people. No one disagrees that it is to remind us, hey, while you're in Babylon, shine, no one disagrees on that. And with these apocalyptic uh, images that we're going to see in the second half of the book, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, nobody's going to disagree that Babylon serves as an archetype through the rest of the Bible. So almost nobody will disagree when you say Rome was a type of Babylon. They go, yep. We're going to see verses that people swear up and down. It's all about Antiochus Epiphanes. They're probably right. But then when you look at Titus come and tear down the Jewish temple 40 years after Jesus said it would happen, you're like, that looks like an antichrist as well. Like, there's always an antichrist. There's always a Babylon. It's just like, which, which season's variation of darkness is there? Okay? The more we, and, I, and I know I go history nerd on you guys sometimes, but whether I'm studying, last semester I did 19th century Russian history, like, it's all the same, guys. There's light and there is dark. Stuff that we don't even hear about. American history is basically George Washington good, Hitler bad. And then they give you your diploma. That's about all we get. But when you go and study all history, you see 
cultures that are more affected by the kingdom of God, a little bit affected by the kingdom of God, and then just abject darkness. And that's what we see over and over and over. So when I tell you Babylon hates God because it wants to be God, Babylon, I don't want, those of you who are on the political right, we tend to just rail against government like government's always the problem. I've got bad news for you. Governments are representative of their people. Even if it's a dictatorship, we still tolerate it. Babylon is not just the government leaders. Babylon is the hearts of millions of people that form a nation and those people don't know or love God. So there are all these Babylons, some with a British flag and some with a Chinese flag. They're all, and they're, they hate God. They want to usurp God's authority because they're made up of people who want to be God. From the very beginning of all the trouble in the Bible, Genesis 3 was you and me wanting to be God. You and I are not gonna get to heaven, walk up and find Adam and Eve and slap them across the face. That's not happening. Because you and I are the same. Oh, you know what's gonna happen when I walk up to Adam? He's like, oh, you fell for it too, didn't you? Right? Good thing we got a good savior. Like that's how that conversation's going down. I'm not slapping him. If we understand that the human heart fundamentally wants to be God, we're going to understand the behavior of renaming. I want to be God. And I reveal this over and over, second point, with behavior that are godlike behaviors. Babylon shows its desire to be God with godlike behaviors, things that only God has the right to, like defining reality. Anytime you wonder what's going on in culture as it gets darker, over and over again, you'll see the exact same thing. Mere mortals taking on responsibilities and things, rights that are God's and then acting as if they have that right. And I do it too. And you do it too. Take a look at verse seven. The chief of staff renamed four of God's children with these Babylonian names. You don't get to rename God's children. Who do you think you are? That's the actual question. This is what it looks like in a culture. God says, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. And America raises her hand and says, you know, I have some comments about that. And all of you guys' blood pressure just went up because you think I'm talking about politics. No. No. When God speaks what is true and you and I stand up to disagree, everything out of our mouth and our heart is blasphemy. Because I think I'm smarter than God in that moment. I think I am wiser than him and for sure the culture right now, the culture thinks they love themselves better than God loves them. So we can't even say that a woman is a woman. She's a birthing parent. That's not trying to frustrate political opponents. We are redefining reality 
because we are desperate for God to not exist. Desperate for the Bible to be a joke. Because if God exists and the Bible is even halfway true, I might be accountable to a moral code higher than my own opinion. And that is intolerable. I don't say this, guys. When I critique the culture, I am never, ever trying to incite anger inside you at the culture. The culture is lost as a goose and needs Jesus. The culture is our friends. The culture is our sister that doesn't know Christ. The culture is our father that doesn't know Christ. It's not just some face on the news. These are people for whom Christ died and they don't know their savior yet. They still want to be God. They have no idea who God is. They have no idea what he has done going to a cross on their behalf. And Paul rebuked us pretty clearly. And don't act like you were any different before Jesus came and found you. got your awesome rainbow flag going left and right. Yay, God doesn't exist. I'm God. And you get saved and you're like, he's never going to flood the earth again. Yay, awesome. Woo! Because everything in your worldview got turned upside down when Jesus found you. I could sleep with anybody. I get saved. Oh, Monogamy is a good gift of the Lord? Oh, that's different. Pay your taxes, lie to the government, fudge it a little bit. Yeah, 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 that's fine. You get saved. Mm, I'm a Christian now. I should probably tell the truth. Tag nabbit. Worship your hobby. Your budget is dominated by that boat that you have or that you want to have. <laughs> you get saved. <sighs> I think the kingdom's a little bit bigger than my boat. Dagnabbit, right? Becoming a Christian is very inconvenient. Holy Spirit comes in, your house is a mess, and he has a broom and an attitude. When I tell you that Babylon is perverse, I'm also telling you that you and I were Babylon just a moment ago. And Jesus loves Babylon. Jesus died for Babylon. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Not they did pretty good and did lots of good stuff and they weren't perfect, but they, you know, they were the better ones. So Hitler I sent to hell and them I'm taking them to heaven. No! No. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. When I make a truth claim that contradicts the most high, what did I just do? Shoved God off of his throne and I put my lousy derriere on his throne and then proclaimed something. Right now in our culture, the two most perverted words by far are the words love and hate. They've been flipped. 
if a Christian loves God, which means joyfully submitting to all that Christ teaches us, you're called a hater because your ethics are cruciform. Like whatever Jesus tells me is right and wrong, that's, he's my Lord, he's my savior, he's my God. And now you're called a hater because you didn't make room for somebody else's idolatry. And if you express your hatred for God, which is what Romans 1 and 2 tells us your creative sexual exploits are, if you continually express your hatred for God, you're really just declaring loudly with a parade, God, I want you to die now. And don't, by the way, don't think I'm slamming the LGBTQ community right now. The prodigal son story starts off with a younger son saying, basically, God, I, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. Okay, straight people want God dead too. Okay, everybody wants God to die so we can take his throne. Okay, the spirit of the age doesn't mean that your sins are any <laughs> different. Like, everyone wants God dead. We are all Saul of Tarsus. We are all Adam and Eve. So hate is love. Love is hate. A man is not a man. A woman is not a woman. A fetus is not a baby. A baby is not a fetus. Other than that, it's clear as mud. And I don't need it to be clear. I just need to be God. That's why there's so, such a lack of clarity. I don't need it to make sense because sin doesn't make sense. It's not about logic. It is spiritual. I am at war with the most high. Watch the behavior of Satan as Jesus goes to the cross. How much illogical behavior do you see from Satan? If you were a devil, if you served Satan and you had the gift of time travel, you right now, knowing what Jesus had accomplished, you would go back in time to your master Satan and say, don't fill Judas Iscariot and betray him. It's gonna backfire. Right? Sin is spiritual. Arrogance is self-blinding. And even the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the cross, he couldn't stop it. Let's quit waiting for our own sin or anybody else's sin to make sense. It's not going to make sense. It just won't. Unless we say, oh, when I said that, I really wanted to be God. That makes sense. Oh, when you did that. Yeah, I see, you wanna be God. That makes sense. That's the only way it makes sense. Third, every single day, a follower of Christ makes the choice to behave like Israel or like Babylon. Now, if you know the history of Israel, that blank was probably very disappointing to you. <laughs> Wait, those are my options? <laughs> Have you read Second Chronicles? I did my Bible reading plan like a good Christian, and boy, were there a lot of kings that did not love Jesus. <laughs> Guys, Israel's going to heaven not because of their behavior, but because of their savior. And you can't be morally perfect. Israel is the best, this is the best choice you have. Would you like to be a broken, fallible people of God who stumble and repent and stumble and repent? Or would you like to be without a savior? This is how there's no room for uh, arrogance in the kingdom of God. If you're arrogant and really believe you're a good person, you cannot tolerate either of those two options. You're gonna be good enough on your own. You're gonna deserve heaven because you did so much good stuff. Your options, biblically, 
are to be a people of God that fails forward through repentance and through a merciful savior. Or you could just walk away. God, I, I, I want nothing to do with you. And, and, and this is still in the 21st century. These are the choices of the church. Now I have something that's gonna sound offensive that I gotta say to you if you're exploring faith, but so that you understand the Bible and why it's talking about you the way it does. If you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure out what you think of Christianity, you ready? You don't yet have this choice. The Apostle Paul, a first century pastor, says that you are spiritually dead and there are things about Jesus that you cannot see yet. There are things about Jesus you can't understand yet. And that barrier doesn't stop you from becoming a Christian. It just means you're not gonna have all your questions answered up front. Like when you get a 20-minute meeting with Bill Gates, who's setting the terms? Huh? Someone reaches out to you and says, hey, uh, you get to meet with your senator or your congressperson or your, the president, some important person. Hey, you get to meet with a Supreme Court justice for high tea. Wow, cool. Every one of you right now just goes, well, which one? Knock it off. Who sets the agenda if a Supreme Court justice invites you out to lunch? Who picks the restaurant? They probably have a debit card with the federal government. Let them pick the restaurant. If you're gonna to come to Jesus, he gets to set the terms. That's the best news in the world. That's not bad news. I know as a consumer, that sounds bad to you. Jesus setting the terms is the best news in the whole world because he loves you more than you love you. And he says, you are gonna let go of every drop of holding onto your own good behavior to make you right with my father. You're gonna let go of all of it. You're gonna bow the knee at my cross. You're gonna shed some tears as you realize the price that I paid to wash your sins away. That's how we're gonna do this. And then after he changes your heart, then you can stumble forward like Israel where you can repent. There's no stumbling forward unless God's in your life. There's no way to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. That was sin. Like you can't name sin for what it is and lay it at the foot of a cross that you haven't bowed to. Does that make sense? You don't, the, the cross provides forgiveness and everybody wants Forgiveness if they're willing to admit that they're a sinner, but you, you bow first. Gladly, by the way. And just like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, you're able to take those burdens and lay them at the cross where they belong. You don't want them still on you. I'm gonna pay for my own sins. I'm gonna go up via Dolorosa with my own cross. Ignore what Jesus did. You don't want that. So uh, we're done. We're still late, but we're done. For consideration, here's the practical app. There's not in your notes. Take a deep breath. I want you to think through each of these questions carefully. If you love Jesus Christ, this is how we can explore. Lord, am I still Israel who is in exile in Babylon or Lord, have I become more like Babylon? Do I need to repent? Do I identify more closely to my gender than I do to Jesus? Do I think of myself as more American than Christian? Does my job give me more hope than my adoption into the family of God? 
Does my role as a mother mark me more than my savior? What do my friends think of first when they think of me? My hobby or my Christ? Guys, anything can get turned into an identity. I am a math teacher. Us guys, we do that with our vocation all the time. I am a parent. I am this political party. You know how we don't say I I vote Republican or I vote Democrat? We say I am a... We literally use the name of God and then assign it to some perverse secondary identity. (laughs) Hashtag blasphemy. (laughs) And he hasn't zapped us yet. So is God merciful or what? I would like to think that I am a child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus. And everything else is secondary. It has to be, or I'm an idolater. It has to be, or I'm confused. It has to be, or Citrus Heights isn't gonna know their savior because I'm gonna be sitting here wasting my time and energy with simple stuff. Foundation Christian Church, do you know who your foundation is? Yeah, it's a person. It's not an idea, it's not a theological checklist, it's a person. Our city might just have a chance of meeting him if we know him first. And it's gonna happen in that order because we are the earthen vessels, we are the jars of clay. Okay? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna spend all week anticipating for Conrad busts up in here with his sermon about becoming a vegan later in chapter one. If you know the book of Daniel, you know exactly where we're going. Vegetables and water, also known as low attendance Sunday. So, but anyway, you should come because we're starting to get into these exciting stories of these four godly men really stepping up. So these next five weeks or so, Uh, I I believe that our hearts are really gonna be picked up and encouraged that uh, the Holy Spirit of the living God is not intimidated by Nebuchadnezzar. Did you know that? In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna bow the knee before this is over. And he's gonna become a uh, connoisseur of different types of grass before it's over. If you're new, this will all make sense in a few weeks. So I'm gonna pray for us. Holy Spirit of the living God, we trust that you are changing and shaping us and molding us. Um, God, if we don't know you yet, would you please show yourself to us? God, help us to worship you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to have wisdom, God, and shrewdness to have our brains fully engaged, Lord, as we look at a culture that's trying to redefine us, redefine you, telling you that you're dead, telling you that you were just a nice uh, philosopher. Oh God, Babylon's trying to redefine every part of your kingdom. And, and give us wisdom, Lord, as we search the scriptures, as we soak in what's true. Um, God, we celebrate it when you speak. It is so nice to be told what is true, God, even when we're rebuked by it, because we believe that you bless your people, and you bless the world as you tell us what's true.
Thank you, Lord, for names that are better than what Babylon has to offer. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. amen. We have an announcement video today? Okay, then just one last announcement. Like baptisms, where I gave you guys seven or eight minutes to go pick up your kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, and then join us in the quad, we're doing a sign unveiling today with our brand new cool artwork out here in the lawn. So a couple of instructions. First, I'm gonna give you a good seven or eight minutes so that everyone's got a chance to get over to Kids Adventure if you've got kids over there and check them out and then come out to the sign. Secondly, just a matter of uh, physical space in case you don't think it through. It is a two-sided sign. So if we all want to cuddle, if we want to snuggle, we can all stand very tightly together to see one side of the sign before it gets ripped off. Um, and then we can cheer. But let's be honest, only the tall people are going to see the sign. So if you, if you remotely know what a donut looks, some of us are, are more acquainted with donuts than others. But if you know what a donut looks like, just kind of, you can stand on both sides. All right, and then uh, Pastor Charles volunteered last night at 9.30 because he was the one who tied the rope over the thing. And I said, you're the one who, know, who tied it on and knows how to get that thing off. So Pastor Charles is gonna come out there and untie it and then we're gonna do a countdown and then he's gonna rip it off and then we're gonna go bananas. How does that sound? All right, okay, seven or eight minutes to go get your kids. Love you guys and I'll see you out at the sign in about seven or eight minutes.